The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Thank you. Just feel free to yell at me as much as possible. <laughs> if anybody walks into my room, they're going to see this and be like, what in God's name? Because it's just, it's a bath towel, which smells like I've used it because I have. Um, it's still a little bit wet from this morning, so that's great. Uh, I'm, a, I'm not a sound engineer or anything. That's a but good song title. Still, <laughs> yeah, we'll let you fill in the gaps. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> that's a good, a good song lets you fill in the gaps. Yeah. Speaking of songs, I like what I was saying, I was having a great week. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, the Simple Plan hit, I'm Just a Kid, hit platinum this week. Did you hear about this? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. So really random, but I guess it's because of TikTok. Uh, there was some sort of like a uh, like a, a, a trend or whatever they call it. I don't know, uh, where it was uh, trending for some reason. People were making like TikTok videos where they would kind of uh, make like a 10 year, 20 year later uh, challenge where you take a picture of you and your siblings and then it would switch over to the, like a picture of you from like 1991. <laughs> right. Uh, like right when the chorus hits. So anyway, uh, 18 years later after that album came out, whatever it was, 2002, that album just, or that song rather just hit platinum, which I, I don't know. I never really got a direct answer on what that means. So maybe someone out there can let me know what that means. But well, I'm assuming what happened was that it was already at like a pretty high gold. Yeah. Uh, and then it just like, I guess this was just enough to get it over the hump. Pinkerton hit gold finally in the U.S. I think mm. last year or two years ago. Yeah, I, I have to imagine that. I think it's a combination of record sales, CD sales, and uh, streaming. I think I read somewhere it's something like 150 plays counts as one, and you have to get to a million. So I guess that's 150 million streams and sales. I don't know. But anyway, it's kind of cool. That was kind of neat news for Neil this week. That that's gonna be our new segment. <laughs> Welcome back to Neat News for Neil. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, uh, this week has been very uneventful um, uh, for me, not not for the rest of the world. Uh, how about you? How are you? How are you doing, Mike? It's been a while since I've seen your face. Yeah, it's been a long time, uh, but I'm I'm doing good, uh, and I'm excited to, you know, just to talk about something that unites us all, which is the GameCube. Oh yeah, it's it, it unites everyone really. It has it has no enemies. Yeah, I I mean it mostly unites people in the sense that uh people kind of look at you and they're like, is that that thing that had the handle on it? And that's kind of how the conversation starts. Or and usually it's is that the thing that had Halo on it? Actually, I don't think anybody knew that there was a handle <laughs> on the back. Uh, okay, you'll be surprised about the amount of times someone has brought up the handle. Really. Marty is oh, most of specifically those times. Marty. Yeah, I used it this week when I was pulling up the GameCube up to my room just to take a picture or something like that. I don't know, but I was using the handle. Uh, I just imagine you lugging the GameCube. Just like, it's like, yeah, like I'm going to work, like it's a briefcase. It's like a lunchbox. I'm surprised that they didn't like make lunchboxes or don't make lunchboxes with the GameCube design because I think that would really not catch on either because who the hell has lunchboxes? Someone on Etsy has 100% made a GameCube lunchbox. I refuse to believe that that, that it has does to not exist. exist. It absolutely yeah. has to exist. Yeah, GameCube, everything. A lot of N64 memorabilia out there, uh, NES, SNES. But yeah, then it kind of stops at the GameCube and the Wii, and there's nobody gives a crap about the Wii U. So, Well, the, the GameCube actually has a massive modding community, which I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite large. And I was so, because I was watching this this guy on YouTube, and he was making to GameCube controller, like, so like Joy-Cons, basically. Mm -hmm. GameCube controller Joy-Con? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they actually look like he, he, they look exactly like GameCube controllers. It's the exact size, the same buttons, everything. Hmm. He had to do a lot of 3D printing to do this. Yeah. Uh, and he also had to visit a lot of uh, GameCube modders to get them to help him out with it and figure out the best way to put everything on. Because one of the hardest parts to do is to make it so those rails actually stick onto the switch on either side because mm. those rails need to be super powerful because that's holding the entire switch up. Yeah, never really thought about that. I guess it's kind of like a proprietary design because no other real tech does that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my Joy-Cons, they're day one Joy-Cons. They're super wobbly now. 
just because I haven't done anything to them. They're the same ones. I didn't think that it would be an issue, but yeah, when I take it off and I'm just playing my Switch on the couch, it's super wobbly. Yeah, I found that too. And I obviously, I have the Joy-Con Drift, the dreaded Joy-Con Drift. I, I think mine's starting to get that too. I was playing Luigi's Mansion 3 just the other day and Luigi just started walking left. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. here it comes. But then it, it only happened, it's only <laughs> happened once. It was only a few seconds and I just, I, I nipped that in the bud right away. Uh, just like, nope, nope, stay still. And he stayed. So, yeah, uh, here we are, though. Uh, episode four? Episode four. Here we are. Uh, did you want to introduce the show? Sure, yeah, I can introduce it. So this is episode four, and we'll be talking about clone games today. And no, clone games not as in Star Wars The Clone Wars, uh, which I know you're... Well, you like the the, the show. I, I do, it's yeah. A- it has some it has some missable episodes, but just just like any other show, uh, I think it I think it's good. I think it's good. It's almost as good as Attack of the Clones, which is arguably the best Star Wars movie. I've never met anybody who's honestly said that. Like, we can talk <laughs> about this later. I think ranking the Star Wars films, if you want, uh, we might have to kill some time on this episode. But uh, do you do you want to go through real quick your ranking of the nine Star Wars films? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Let's. Uh, I. I can. I can. I can. Let's go through our prequel. Rank. Okay. So I would say. I would say Attack of the Clones is dead last yeah, for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And then it's tough because I go back and forth between Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith, but it probably would be Phantom Menace number two and Revenge of the Sith number one. Okay. They. I. I have a soft spot for Phantom Menace. I really enjoy parts of that movie. Mm-hmm. But then when you actually watch the whole thing through, you're like, wow, there's at least 60% of this movie that's unwatchable. Yeah, it's unwatchable, but uh, episode three is just like, it's watchable, but it's just boring. I found episode three very boring. Like as an adult, I remember loving it as a kid, which is weird. Usually yeah. you think it'd be the- We saw that We, in we did. I remember being over the moon with it. But then I watched it again a few years ago, just thinking like, can we skip like this next hour? Because it's just nothing's happening. I guarantee you that's what every kid is going to think in 10 years, 15 years uh, for episode nine. Oh, oh yeah, probably. I tried rewatching that one a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's it's not as good the second time through. But yeah, my, my ranking of the prequels would probably be one, three, two. Uh, and then the Clone Wars, I don't know. It's fine. It's very forgettable. I like the new season. That's my short review of that. But clone games uh, with the GameCube, what we mean by that is games that are like other games. They kind of basically directly rip off games that we already know and love. And for some reason, they didn't get shut down or sued. Yeah, we call these unabashedly clones. Yeah, and there's tons of games in later episodes that could probably have fit in here as well, but uh, we're just going to talk about these next, I don't know how many, 11 games, 10 or 11 games. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. so we'll start it off, I guess, with the first one. Again, actually, I'll just stay up front. I haven't played any of these games. Neither have I. I've played none of these games. I've watched all of these games to research them uh, to be a GameCube aficionado. Uh, and there's some of these games that I know from before. I've heard of them and I've read about them before. Oh, yeah. But I have never owned or played these games no. as well. And if anybody's interested, if you go to any used video game store, you can pretty much find all of these games on the shelf all the time. There might be one or two games here that you might have a bit of difficulty finding, but for the most part, they're all very accessible. They must have sold very well because uh, some of these games are in literally every store. (laughs) So we'll kick it off here with uh, Extreme G3 was released on November 27th, 2001, developed by Acclaim Studios. It's also available on the PS2 uh, and the GameCube. And this would be considered an F-Zero clone or Wipeout clone for the PlayStation fans out there. Okay, yeah, Wipeout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's a a very much... uh, a clone of those kind of games. It's those uh, futuristic racing mm-hmm. uh, games. Yeah, it's very, it's unoriginal. I mean, it's, I watched a little bit of gameplay of it too. Uh, the music is pretty generic, futuristic techno music, I guess. Uh, the the cars all look like F-Zero cars. The tracks look like tubes. Uh, I don't have anything to say about it. I'm an F-Zero fan. I like the Fast RMX series as well, uh, but I feel like spinoffs, I should love spinoffs just because it's more of what I like, but for some reason, this game just doesn't do it for me. This game isn't a spinoff. This game is a clone. Sorry. A spinoff is like Fast RMX. That would be a clone too, I would think. I would argue that Fast RMX is less of a clone and more of a spinoff because of a couple of reasons. One, it actually has the guy from F-Zero doing the voices. That's true. Uh, There's a clear intention of 
Nintendo to be like, yeah, that's like you guys are good to like keep going, like keep carrying the mantle. Yeah, basically. I can't remember if Nintendo published the RMX series. Is it only on Switch and Wii U? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. And I think the music in that game is also made by the guys that did. Don't quote me on that, but I think that they also worked on F-Zero. There's some tie-in with the F-Zero developers. There's and- also a, a car called the Falcon. Yep. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> the, it's not the Blue Falcon, right? It's just the Falcon. Yeah, it was just like... A very, but it's also blue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was it. Okay. It's a, it's a very like explicit nod. It's really weird. It's, it's very strange. It's almost like the, you, you know, you heard about the Suicide Squad, the, the new Suicide Squad coming out. Yeah, they just added the to it <laughs> yeah. or something. Where it's like not a remake, and it's not like a a whole new movie necessarily. It's, it's like a retelling of what the first one should have <laughs> been. Almost with some of the same characters or some of the same actors. It's <laughs> and that's kind of what Fast RMX feels like to me for uh F0. Okay. I, I some days I think I prefer Fast RMX over F0 personally, well, I mean, but we can talk about that more on the F0 episode, I guess. It's been 19 years since there was a new F0 game, right? So Yeah. It's no one else is doing it's it. It's hard to compare things like that that have such a huge timeline between them right so kind of unfair yeah. almost let's just consider that an f-zero spiritual successor then i'm okay with giving it that it, it has enough new ideas too that it's got the color system the orange and the red which is nice uh but anyway with extreme g there didn't seem to be anything really new with the series i guess if you just wanted more futuristic racing games this would be for you if you wanted to pick it up now it's about 30 bucks on ebay give or take Probably should have said up front, this Extreme G game, it's not actually a car game. It's a bike game. It's futuristic bikes. But once you start moving, it's the same. Yeah, because it, it's it's kind of like a Tron clone. Yeah. Do you want to know exactly how fast these bikes move, Mike? Because I can tell you if I read the back of the box. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Okay. Beyond speed, beyond combat, beyond all racing, high speed motorcycle racing and high stakes futuristic combat collide in XG3 an intoxicating, highly addictive arcade experience. Feel every razor-sharp turn and roller coaster drop in the pit of your stomach as you smash through the sound barrier at speeds over 750 miles an hour. Five tracks. I mean, I guess after a while, you wouldn't even notice. Yeah, oh, for sure. I mean, the only thing I ever heard about this game was that it was exactly like the first game, or the second game, I guess. In and the, the first. <laughs> yeah, and the first. And yeah. they're just, they're, uh, the back of the box actually said something interesting, how they said it was for arcades, or like an arcade experience. That mm-hmm. is basically what these things are. They're just arcade yeah. games that are ported over to the GameCube. Yeah, and what makes the arcade uh, special is that you have the bike that you're actually sitting on, which makes it fun. This takes that away, so I guess it's a lesser experience having yeah. it at home. Oh, for which sure. Is sad to say, but... Let's move on to Tie the Tasmanian Tiger. Okay, uh, so Tie the Tasmanian Tiger was released September 10th, 2002, uh, developed by Chrome Studios. It's on a bunch of stuff, GameCube, PS2, Xbox, Windows PC. Recently remastered on Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. This would be in the vein of a 3D platformer like Mario 64, Banjo, or Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, so I would say it, it is it explicitly rips off Crash Bandicoot in a way that is just unimaginable to me. Yeah. The fact that this thing got away with it and is now getting re-released. Mm-hmm. I guess there must have been some kind of audience for this game. Yeah, it's really weird how some of these games that we up front, we said, and I never played these games, don't remember them. They seem pretty cheap, but they have popped their heads up again this generation. Yeah, there's four games for this, for yeah. the Tasmanian Tiger. Yeah, when I was looking up for the back of the box, I had to sift through like tie three, tie two. Like how many yeah. tie games? Yeah, I had to make sure I got the right one. I think I did. But uh, if you wanted to get the original game, it's only like 15 bucks on eBay. I was looking up some gameplay too before this. Once again, never played it. It's super annoying. Like the voice acting. Yes. It's like fake yes. Australian accents or something like it's that. It's really bad. It's Again, it's like a budget crash. That's exactly what it, it feels like to me. Yeah. I guess there was a place for that back then. Uh, all the movie tie-in games that we love, like the SpongeBob games and stuff, they they were kind of rip-offs too. Those would probably be in the clone episodes if we weren't tied to those games nostalgically because they all are basically uh, rip-offs of like Ratchet and Clank, Spyro, and Crash. Yeah, yeah. But, this is just our subjective opinion that we're putting this in yeah. clone. Like if this, if this game was tied to a movie, we would just call this a movie tie-in. But since it doesn't have a movie tied to it, I don't think. Um, I, just, I just find it so strange that like why they did this because uh, it's it's Money. it's just so blatant to me but it's like uh, i just imagine the writer room 
and I remember I just imagine someone coming in. It's like, okay, guys, we want to make a game, you know, that's kind of like Crash. We maybe do the Australian thing, but you yeah. know, like make it a little subtle. And everyone's just like, so we could just copy this game, basically word for word. Okay, good. Yeah, and this is also this is actually I can probably see this being like, look, we want to make a movie, but then they couldn't get the budget, so they got the budget for a game. What was with Australian stuff like at this time? Yeah, Australian games were really trendy, even movies. Because uh, the wild thornberries is what I'm thinking of, right? Maybe. Yeah, people loved Australia with the the crocodile hunter was super big in the 2000s, yeah. early 2000s as well. Yeah, maybe Australia was just the place to be. So let's go over the uh, some of the the animals in this game. We have a Please. a Tasmanian tiger, obviously, as sure. a titular character, uh, which is extinct. Actually, I think it went extinct in the 30s. Oh, uh, yeah. So there are no more Tasmanian tigers. They're pretty cool. I don't know if you have ever seen an actual like picture of one. No, I have not. Uh, they look like a zebra, but a dog. Whoa. Okay. That's like that's like the best way to describe that it. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> would you want would you would you want a dog the size of a like a zebra or like No, no, it's not the size of a zebra. Okay. It's smaller. Like it's it's I'm just saying that it's got the stripes, right? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. The pattern, it's just a, hmm. Yeah, it, like they look really cool to be honest. And so I I totally get why you would want to base a game around it cuz it's a cool animal. Mm-hmm. But but uh oh yeah, there's also a family of bilbies. Okay, are they also extinct or am I just not up to date on Australian animals. They're basically bandicoots. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yep. So, so again, he gets taken in by bandicoots. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I know what um, that is because of Crash. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's also a cassowary. Cassowary. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. There. You've definitely seen these before, uh, or you might even know what that is. It's like a peacock meets a turkey okay and I'm, I'm thinking that's the guy that i'm looking at at the back of the box looks like he has an almond coming out of his forehead yes that's that's a caster got it yeah cool and and a dingo a dingo i know what those are dingo ate the baby uh a cockatoo i know the cockatoo all right yeah we love cockatoos sure. a koala obviously good a Taz, tasmanian devil ah like taz a uh a razorback okay which are uh they're like the australian pigs yep a, t- a tiger shark. I know what those are. Good. And a ghost bat. That I, that I don't know. <laughs> no, I. Bat, bats never... are a, a no go for me right now. Ghost bat, also known as ghoul bat. Oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, that, that could have been it. So it's yeah. rated E for everyone, which is nice. There's a little bit of violence in the game. Uh, that's nice. So a good cast of characters, I suppose. You got a mix of extinct and new, which makes no sense. I. Uh, it would have been kind of cooler if they had just stuck with, oh, we'll just make a game with extinct animals. Yeah, that would have actually been, been neat. Yeah. Maybe make it a little educational. It's, you know, it obviously has some uh, redeeming elements, but at the end of the day, it's just like a lesser crash. So if you want to just play that game, just play Crash, basically. Yeah, and I was looking at it, and it just looked like a bit of a rare like the rare studios kind of game where you know it's all jungly it's it's happy it's light it's not meant to be taken too seriously i don't think yeah no it's not no yeah, yeah talking animals you get you, you get it uh so let me read the back of the box and we can uh put tie to bed how's that sound <laughs> cool go wild down under good day mate go deep into the wilds of an unexplored australian outback as tie the tasmanian di- tiger to free your fellow tigers from captivity in the otherworldly realm of the dream time Standing in your way is one cranky, flightless bird and an all-around evil genius, Boss Kate, Boss Cass, all right, instead of Boss Nass from Star Wars. But no worries, you've got an arsenal of high-flying boomerangs and a fierce set of chompers to take out his nasty minions. So take a trip down under and get ready for an amazing Australian adventure. Explore over 15 levels of a vast and dangerous Australian wilderness. Wield 13 high-tech boomerangs, including your frosty rang, flame rang, and powerful doomerang. Ooh. Interact with a cast of over 50 different Australian mites and unruly foes. I guarantee I won't meet any of those guys. <laughs> One thing I just realized is that there's also a Tie the Tasmanian Tiger 3 on here and on the GameCube and not 2. Mm-hmm. Do we know anything about that? I don't. I, I I would think two is on there too. I'm surprised. Maybe we'll have to do some looking into that and have to do a tie episode. <laughs> oh my god! So the 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 second game released in 2004, so two years after this game okay. that we were just talking about. This game was released on the Game Boy Advance, but not on GameCube. Tie two was not released on the GameCube. Okay, okay. 
trying to figure out why. I can't think of anything. Maybe they just forgot to make it. Okay, so Tide 2 actually it was basically like Mario Kart style. There was a game, but you also did a lot of racing in it. Oh, so like Crash Team Racing. Yes, yes. Okay. So yeah, so yeah this was yeah. the clone of Crash Team this Racing. This is really beat for beat <laughs> Crash. All right. <laughs> We're going to have to do some more research into that for Tie 3. Yeah, we will have more for the platformer episode when we talk about Tie 3 and just why this happened. Stay tuned. So next on our list of clones is Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer, released on September 16th, 2002. This was developed by Treyarch Studios, which, if you don't know, they develop Call of Duty games now. It was released on GameCube, PS2, Game Boy Advance, Xbox, Mobile, and Windows. I would consider this a Tony Hawk Pro Skater clone. Uh, it'll set you back maybe 10 or 15 bucks on eBay. I see this game everywhere. It's not expensive. <laughs> no. No, I was actually really interested in this game. I did quite a bit of research into it just because I like the genre of the surfing skateboarding games from this era. I think this was probably the golden age. A lot of people would probably say the PS1 would be the best one, but I like them on GameCube personally. This is literally Tony Hawk Pro Skater. You uh, earn points as you do tricks. You have to do certain things within the time limit uh, to move on and unlock new beaches. Tony Hawk is even a playable character in this game. Really? Oh my God. I did not know that. Yeah. So he endorsed it. And then Slater, uh, Kelly Slater is also a playable character in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. So there was crossover there too. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So that's, that's like, yeah. Yeah. Tony Hawk surfed, or at least he might still, he might still surf. He, I he mean, both. I, once you figure out that kind of like if you have that balance down and if you're really good at board sports you can uh it's definitely a transferable skill so the soundtrack in this game i'm always interested on the soundtrack in in these types of games yes, please of i want to hear this it's not bad i mean there's jack johnson which is kind of neat uh there's pearl jam there's jack johnson in this game yeah i think it was wow. um slide i can't remember I was, I was watching gameplay and i remember i knew the song i think it's slide because jack johnson's um Jack Johnson's like big album in between dreams uh, mm -hmm. that came out in 2005 and this is in 2002. Yeah. So this is when he was still small, small enough to, I guess they could afford him. So it's a lot of grunge, a lot of hip hop songs, not nearly enough ska mm -hmm. in my opinion that there should be I, for me, ska is a beach theme music. I think you should have some ska in there, but is there any ska in there at all? No, I, I didn't recognize any of the bands, so I don't think so. There was no Goldfinger. There was no mighty, mighty Boston's or no doubt. So but uh, it's kind of interesting. I realized that, or I, I looked this up, that Kelly Slater is also a musician and he's got his own band and he's actually performed live with Jack Johnson, Pearl Jam, Garbage. His band is called The Surfers. Oh. Which is <laughs> but yeah, so I guess maybe that's how he got the bands in this game. Uh, so he's performed with them. That makes sense because um, Jack Johnson was an actual professional surfer. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew that. No. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, or he at least tried to become one. No, I actually, I think he was like a full on professional surfer and I know he had an accident. Oh. And then because of that, then he started like getting bored. So he, uh, he like started playing guitar more. I believe that the same, I, I believe that Gordon Ramsay took the same route. He was supposed to be a soccer player, but ended up, I think he had an injury and now he's a chef. Really? Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. He was supposed to play soccer, but yeah, that, that, that I'm glad Jack Johnson went the route of music. I, I like his stuff. Have you actually listened to anything past in between dreams? No. Yeah. See, no. no literally, I, I always ask that question. No one has. I didn't know there was anything past it. I mean, I'm sure his stuff past it is fine. And, but like those first three albums are very good, especially in between dreams. So it's like, that's kind of all you need. Yeah. The, uh, three great albums. I can move on. I'm good. Like, I, I, I know, I know I can play a few of his songs, I think. But yeah, I, I like his stuff. But anyway, uh, I was thinking about surfing games just and how they were a thing in the 2000s. And now they're not. <laughs> Are there any surfing games around? Not really, I guess. I'm sure there's like some like surfing stuff, but like not, not that would sell anything. No, you might get an indie developer that makes one. But for the most part, I think that they just use it as a part of a game. Like the Grand Theft Auto games. I think you can surf in Grand Theft Auto 5. So I'm guessing you would just play that probably better than anything. But I was looking up just surfing games. And yeah, there were a bunch of surfing games in the 90s and the early 2000s. And then it really tapered off after like 2004, because I think that they just made a few surfing games that were based on franchises like Surf's Up, SpongeBob, but the whole like, yeah, but the dedicated surfing game linked to a pro surfer really, I think this was the last one actually. I mean, the, the whole extreme sports kind of uh, genre really died on, uh, yeah. 
on GameCube or on this this generation of consoles. In this generation, yeah. yeah it did not live on to the next no. one. The skateboarding games did not translate well. Uh, everything else, like all those ATV games. Sony tried with like MotorStorm and things like that. Nintendo stopped trying with 1080 and Wave Race. Uh, this game, I was looking at it just kind of watching the waves and stuff like that. And it rem- reminded me of Endless Ocean on Wii. I don't know if you remember that game. I do, yeah. The Game Grumps uh, did that, right? Like that was how you... Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I bought it and I kind of teared up when I started it because it was playing Carrick Fergus, which I love that song. But uh, yeah, it's just it's just a nice relaxing game where the music is kind of chill. You're just on a beach. You can hear the waves. So it reminded me a little bit like that. Uh, the game looks way better on PS2 and Xbox. I watched some comparison footage and the waves look awful on GameCube compared to the other two systems. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part for the course. Yeah, the player, the characters don't look quite as detailed. I guess the uh, GameCube couldn't quite render the textures. So if you have to pick up this game, if you absolutely want to, I'd probably not recommend the GameCube version. It didn't look like it was the best of the three. Can't speak to the Game Boy or the mobile version. Imagine playing this on your phone. On your Nokia <laughs> <Jeez>. phone. <laughs> on your Gizmondo. Yeah, of course, on the Gizmondo. Hey, that's all we knew back then. So if you had Snake, like you were set. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's just, it's just funny to, to think back. Like, Yeah, you can play two-player, it looks like, which is nice. That's the max one to two-player. Uh, six world titles, never the same wave twice. Rip with the skills of six-time world champion Kelly Slater or one of eight other top pros, including Tony Hawk. Surf a total of 30 levels, featuring 15 of the most popular surf spots from around the globe. Mike, can you name any of the 15 most popular surf spots around the globe? Malibu, I guess. Like, okay. Yeah, that'd be that'd be one for sure. Oh, uh, what's that? Bondi, Bondi Beach. All right. You named two more than I thought you would. Cape Cape Town, like down down South Africa. That's definitely huge okay. waves down there. Maybe okay, that's that's all I got. That's three. That's oh okay. One one, one. <laughs> Hawaii Hawaii too. Obviously, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, obviously, that's where that's where Jack Johnson's from. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm I'm an idiot. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's just me. Uh, we have one of my uh, favorites on this list, uh, Zapper. All right, not not to be confused with Zaffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say not not to be confused with our special guest Zaffer. This is uh this is Zapper One Wicked Cricket. <laughs> what a nice little tagline. So this game was released on November third, two thousand and two. Made by Blitz Games, available on GameCube, PS2, Xbox, and PC. This is basically a ripoff of Frogger. That's the best I could find. It's only fifteen or twenty bucks on eBay. As GameSpot said, basically just Frogger without the license. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, wow. It uh, looks like it. You remember that DreamWorks movie Ants? It, yes. It, that, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw this uh, this gameplay. Yeah, me too. I thought that. Why didn't they just make an Ants game? Yeah, uh, There is an Ants game. Is there oh, not? I'm uh, maybe. pretty sure there's an Ants game. There must be. That might have been on the previous gen. Might have yeah, been pre-GameCube. Yeah. Okay. Ants, Ants on Game Boy Color. Uh, I only I only know that because I've seen that in a lot of uh, video game stores. I'm sure. Yeah, Frogger. So you're just avoiding obstacles. You got to get from one side of the map to the other, avoiding everything trying to kill you. Yeah, when I said that Ty the Tasmanian Tiger was like the biggest ripoff, this is by far the biggest <laughs> ripoff. This is like not even trying. Taking it's it like, back. It's, it's not good uh, looking at it. it. It's so bad that IGN uh, gave it less than five they gave it a 4.5 which is wow. uh which is pretty pretty bad for ign yeah you don't see that these days nine. yeah these days they do i think they explored the scale a bit more back then they did they did but yeah. even even like even giving something less than a seven back then was pretty crazy so mm-hmm. yeah that's uh okay actually nintendo power gave it 2.9 out of five have you ever seen nintendo power giving anything less than a three that's a pass at least they gave it a pass <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, usually Nintendo Power wanted to sell things in that because that was a flyer. That wasn't a magazine. Because <laughs> <Yeah. sighs> that's like that's 2.9 from Nintendo Power is a zero in my eyes. Yeah, because they would give like everything fives. And then yeah. if, if it was a third party game, a four. <laughs> but it still has that official Nintendo seal of quality on the front. <laughs> that's how you know it's playable. And that's how you know that that symbol means nothing. That symbol has an interesting history. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually learned about it not too long ago on how the symbol was initially made in the late 80s early 90s because there was a lot of these actual clone games Mm -hmm. coming out so you had to the only way to distinguish between the fakes and the reels was this stamp 
there was a lot of people's uh, consoles who would be getting bricked because there was no real, like, you just buy these games wherever. There wasn't a good, like, regulation, I guess, no, at that point. there's no ratings board. It was kind of like the Wild West of games at the time. Yeah, even though they yeah, were huge, sure. it was a multi-million dollar industry, even in the mid-80s. Once the NES came out, there was, yeah, bootlegs were coming out. There were no, you couldn't download games, but yeah, people were making fake games. They were making games that Nintendo would never have passed through development. Yeah. The the Disney games are especially uh, uh, famous. I don't know if you've seen some of the gameplay of those. They made a lot of complete knockoff Disney games like The Lion King. <laughs> Which there already is a Lion King game, but. Well, yeah, no, I, I it was, it was literally The Lion King game, but just like someone like took some of the code for it, I guess, oh. or from it. And it, it like barely runs. It's really, really funny. And so they took they took all the sprites from it as well, but they're they're not put in the like the right areas. It. So it's really funny to watch. That's terrifying to play that. I don't think that they have this seal anymore, do they? I'm trying to think. I don't I can't Yeah, yes they do. They? I thought yeah. they dropped it. Yeah. Okay. No, they put it on the back. They put it on the back of Switch games. You, see, you can find it. Yep. Okay. So even today you can find I guess you can find that little stamp on every single Nintendo game. That's right. Yeah. Great. Seal so, of approval. Yeah, so let me just read the back of this box. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. It just starts with available and then a, <laughs> a colon. I don't know what that means. What Rugged. Does that mean? This is this is a weird this is a weird write up. Available. Colon. Rugged individualist outdoorsy type. This, what? Cynical, physically fit with springy reflexes into avoiding trouble and self-defense using electrified antenna. Yellow looking for adventure with right person. What? That's it. They just read what's on the back of the case. There's words written on the back of the case. They just read them. And that's what's written on the back of the case. Is this like a personal ad? That's, yeah. That's, that's on the back real? of this box. I, okay, just so the <laughs> listeners know, I read the back of boxes of, from pictures on eBay for games that I don't own. I think this is real. <laughs> that's that's just a... a is the game supposed to be cheeky like he's single and looking for someone to go out with and marry and have little ants with or zap whatever the hell he's a cricket they are the game starts off because they're watching tv and zapper um uh is he's trying to use his brother zipper uh as a substitute tv antenna ah okay uh, and then and then zipper is snatched away by this magpie uh-huh. uh who leaves an egg at the scene of the crime Oh. And uh, it's a whole thing, and so then Zapper's gonna go and try and rescue his brother, and then uh, and then he gets the, the his brother back at the end. Okay. So I I I don't think he's like a a swinging bachelor, but I don't. If know. I st- we should put that into the into a dating app and just see what I get. <laughs> Fit and springy reflexes. <laughs> you know it. Hey girls, yep. I'm good with my thumbs. Looking for adventure with right person. On to the next one. Fireblade. So this is a helicopter sim, which I I don't think there's any that exist today. No, there's no way. Uh, this is this is probably the most the best example of uh, a game that's very much of a time. Uh, this is uh, you know all this is around. It's a bro game. This is a pro game. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a military, you know, very military kind of game. It is a very, very much direct clone of the Thunderhawk series, which I had heard of before, which is a uh, yep. kind of helicopter flying uh, series. And it came out shortly after, uh, you know, 9-11. There was very much that sentiment of, uh, of that kind of, you know, militaristic style. So it, it, it knew it knew its audience for sure. Let's just say that. Yeah. I don't think you could have a standalone military helicopter game anymore. You can the Ace Combat games are the next closest thing I would say to like flight simulators. The the fan base there is pretty large, but I think if you wanted to play a helicopter game, if you wanted to play a helicopter game, I, I'm assuming you can again probably do all that in Grand Theft Auto. And then there's the Call of Duty games that we get every year that probably do that very well. You know, it's a it's another example of a game that's doing one specific thing and not even that well. So <laughs> no. So Fireblade was released on December 29th, 2002, really late in the year. Like that's <laughs> oh, that's yeah. weird. Uh, developed by Kuju Entertainment, also on PS2 and Xbox. 
uh, it's really cheap on eBay now, like 15 bucks. And yeah, Clone of Thunderhawk, I had the exact same thing. Can we talk about that for a second? Can we talk about the fact that this game got released on December 29th, 2002? That's like sure. releasing something like just in the most dead time you can possibly ima- imagine. Uh, were they trying to get the, the audience of, of people who brought back their games because they didn't like them and then they saw Fireblade on the shelf? They're like, you know what, mom? This is what I want. This is what I want to do for New Year's. Games do not come out between Christmas and January 5th. No. Oh, uh, I, nothing comes out between that. Even before Christmas. Like I would say December 15th is like your cutoff. You've got like a, maybe a week after Black Friday. Yeah, for sure. And it just it just makes sense. It's just good business sense. And even back then, games weren't coming out. Like uh, you, there's very few games on our list that have co- that came out between those uh, those weeks. So it's, I don't mm-hmm. know what happened here. Yeah, uh, maybe developers, this was around the time when they were starting to explore the release windows, like when could you release games and it still works because now you you get games that release in March and do really well, just like you get games that release in November that do really well. Uh, they're starting to release more big games in the summertime. Like this year, we have Last of Us. You got a new Paper Mario game. So instead of waiting for the holidays, maybe they were saying, what if we released a game a week after the holidays <laughs> just to see what happens? Interestingly, it released at very different times as most of these games did on different platforms in different uh, regions. It, it was in June uh, for the PS2. It okay. was in uh, November for the Xbox. And then, mm. yeah, for GameCube, it was December 29th. But in PAL, it was February 7th, which makes more sense. So that, that That's a smart one. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen anymore either. Where game, it kind of does with Switch, I guess. But games releasing on different platforms on different dates, I feel like that does not happen anymore. We're such an instant society now, right? And very, very much globalized. So it's it's there's not really a, a good use case to, to release something in a different region or, no. or, a, different, uh, or a different system on a no. different time. What's interesting is that this game, the GameCube version, comes with a bonus DVD, Attack Helicopter Documentary, The Roar of War, which is funny because the GameCube cannot play DVDs. Oh, that's a very good fact. Yeah, I like that. That's funny. Unless you had the Panasonic GameCube, but... (laughs) Wasn't even out at this time. No, far not. No, December 29th, 2002? I don't think so. No, it was out later. Yeah. yeah, that's that's hilarious. I want to buy this now. I want to buy this and see how they put that DVD in. It would just be a separate disc, like a DVD disc. So you'd have the game, you'd have your little disc, your little GameCube thing, and then, yeah. But but think of the packaging, right? The GameCube packaging is very specific. Oh yeah. So so how are you putting the DVD in there? Yeah, I guess that's true. Maybe it was like a little slip cover that went in. I'm buying this game. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find it with the DVD and everything. Oh yeah, of course. And I don't know, I can't tell this copy that I'm looking at. It just says complete in box, so it must have the DVD. Unless the DVD is somehow on the little disc and it, it, they just, but you can't say DVD unless it has a DVD in there. I'm, I'm so curious, dude. I'm so curious. All right. So on to the next game or I've, I feel like I've had enough of Fireblade for one day. I'm just going to be looking at Fireblade unboxing videos. Uh, you go ahead on uh, talking, start talking about Vex. I'll get started on this. I'll read the back of the box first just so you can look up that. So... Vex was released on February 10th, 2003. Can't believe I didn't get this for my dad's birthday. It was developed by Acclaim. It was also on GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. This is basically a clone of, again, the 3D platformer, Banjo, Super Mario, and uh, what's it called? Crash Bandicoot. It looks like it's about 25 bucks on eBay, which is way too much for this game, I would think. I've heard that it's fun, at least. I'm sure it is. I'll read the back of the box real quick. His world is overthrown. His people imprisoned, his family murdered, a star as slave turned savior has one thing on his mind, revenge. Armed with his Astani war talons and his cocky, fearless determination, Vex will stop at nothing to overthrow the evil dark Yabu and bring peace to his planet. Okay, this was probably like a D&D campaign turned into a video game. (laughs) Prove me wrong. You talked earlier uh, last episode in the soccer episode about the most racist uh, GameCube games. Is this in there? Uh, but, but no, we should make a new category of the worst box art uh, GameCube games because this sure. is this is like the worst thing I have ever seen for box art. This is, it's, I it's encourage bad. everyone to look up Vex right now and just look at this disgusting box art. It's very 2000s, uh, the art style. It's just supposed to be really 
I guess, raw and uh, edgy. Uh, the character's got a whole bunch of armor and claws, and then his face is just ugly. <laughs> Sorry. Got kind of like this Fallout Boy-style hair. Vex with two Xs, so you know he means business. You're in design, you know more than me. I'm not, and just as a video game enthusiast, I don't know if this game would... If, to me, it looks like like a bastardization of Ratchet. I don't know what it's... I don't know what I'm looking at. That's the thing, is that I'm not necessarily saying it's just bad It's bad design or anything. It just looks And it's like, rated T, so like you're not even trying to go after the kids. Like it's You're going after teens with this? Yeah, who are you... Uh, yeah, exactly. Who are you going after? I mean, I guess... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's made by Acclaim. Acclaim yeah. is a real company, so... They are real. That's confirmed. I guess this is pre-God of War, like when people were trying to make something that's action-y, arcade-y, and fun at the same time, So, which God of War does pretty well. The the PAL version box art of X is so much better. Oh. So much better. Okay. It, it just kind of has his face looking angrily, and he's very zoomed into his face, and it gets rid of all like the garbage behind him. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of... I don't need to see his body in this. And I think one of our friends pointed out that they probably spent all the time in the game, you know, you develop a game with the back of the character in mind that they probably thought, oh crap, we've got to develop the front. And they gave this really weird character human teeth, which is also terrifying. <laughs> a I'm sonic kind of Yeah, style. I'm looking at the teeth and it looks... It's, yeah, it's... Yeah. And yeah, that was Brennan who was saying that and he's yeah. absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, they they definitely just did the back and we're like, "Oh man, we have to oh, no. make a front." Yeah. We didn't I don't think we got a Vex 2, otherwise it, unless it's on the platformer episode as well. We'll find out. Uh, I, there's no way Vex had another game. Yeah, this was the this was the era, the glory days of 3D platformers where p developers were throwing everything at the wall. Yeah, and that that was kind of what what people cited as a problem was that it was very much too close to to the Mario 64. I miss I miss that 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 font though, like that 2000 we're going to talk about the 2000s a lot where just everything like had knives at the end of it and was all like just really gothic, edgy. edgy. You know, like there's two X's, they're all sharp and bladey and they have knives in them and just Yeah. That was the design trend uh, of of that time for sure. Was the was having those little claws kind of come out of uh, on the the end of letters and things yeah. like that. Anyway, I really want to move on to this next game if we can. Oh, this we're is... we're already gone. Vex okay, is gone. long gone. Cool. So this is my game for of choice for this batch of uh, abominations. Uh, so <laughs> no offense, Tube Slider was released on April seventeenth, two thousand three. Developed by ND Cube. This is a GameCube exclusive, North American only. The Japanese version was canceled for an unknown reason. This is a straight F-Zero clone again, so into that futuristic Extreme G vein. This game looks awesome. Like this, this is how this is how you do a clone. It looks fun. It looks amazing. I was looking up gameplay. I can't believe this game is snuck under my radar for I've been collecting GameCube games now for about seven years. And I just found this game out when we did this podcast. And uh yeah, I was going to buy it. Uh, but then I saw that it's uh, between 100. There's only two copies, I think, available, and they were between 112 and 130 bucks for a complete inbox version. So this game is obviously really? rare and sought after. But it's it's straight F zero. I can't hate. Or I can't I can't you know poke fun at it. It's it's definitely a direct clone. There's no voice or anything like that. The music is the same as an F zero game. Very futuristic, techie. Yeah, if if I if someone put this in front of me and I started playing it, then I would just immediately be like, "Oh, I'm playing F Zero." Yeah, yeah, it looks great. I would I would highly recommend it, especially if you're like me and you like the futuristic games. The ships look like an F Zero game. It looks very good for 2003. I'll give it that. Yeah, I might have been looking at an HD port of it, like a PC HD uh, emulator. But one thing that's really interesting about this, I just have a little bit about the developer ND Cube. Uh, they're a Japanese video game developer. They're fully owned by Nintendo now. Uh, at the time, this was a joint venture between Nintendo and an advertising firm named Den Dentsu, Japanese. So that's how you get the ND, Nintendo and Dentsu. Oh, cool. Yeah. And in 2010, Nintendo bought 98% of the shares of the company. So this is, an, this is a Nintendo studio. Hmm. Even today. They, so yeah, uh, they make that's yeah, that's my sure. Yeah. So what's interesting is that they made F zero an F zero game on Game huh. Boy Advance. I have it. Maximum velocity. Really? Wow. They also made Mario Party nine, ten, the Mario Party Top one hundred, Mario Party Island Tour, Super Mario Party, and then they, they also made Animal Crossing Amiibo Festival. But so they made one good game. It sounds like. 
<laughs> the top 100 looked cool, but it was just uh, it was just a just for 3ds. Yeah, that that was a big mistake. Mario Party's great. So, yeah, Su- Super Mario Party's very good, but the other Mario Parties suck. Like nine. And yeah, 10. those ones are those ones are bad. Yeah, Super Mario Party's great. Maximum Velocity was great. Yeah, I was just wondering though, like, I wonder why Nintendo didn't give F Zero to this studio to make an F Zero game, because they've they've done it. I don't know why they don't have them make a 3D F Zero game. <sighs> that is mind boggling and actually makes me really upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That, that's why the, the more I dug into this, the more angry I got. They, they have this. They have this studio that has a history of making fast racing, futuristic games. They they made one, and then they made a two D F Zero game, and then they got shifted over to Mario Party. So weird. Yeah, I think there's a fan. I think there's a lot of people. There's no one like me, but I think that there's a lot of people <laughs> like me who like who like those types of games. They like Wipeout. They like yeah. uh, F Zero. I think that. Uh, if you made it like a budget title, like make it a bit smaller, make it 50 bucks, put it out there. Like I think that you'd get a bunch of just, you know, guys in their 20s and 30s and girls that just remember these types of games and just want something to pick up and play while they're on their way to work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Something something a little faster than than a Mario Kart, but not as technical as like a Horizon, a F- uh, Forza. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that market definitely exists and it's 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 dry it's, right now. Like I feel like we're in oh, the dark so ages dry. of it. Yeah, yeah. It, oh, so dry. Not like this <laughs> towel wrapped around my body. <laughs> so yeah, uh, four-player multiplayer local split-screen co-op, which is awesome. The music is kind of meh. Uh, I found the mixing to be really bad, actually. Once once you start the race, you can't even hear it. At least oh, I couldn't. Oh, really? That's yeah, bad. On, the, on what I was watching, like you could hear the music to start, and then once the race went, you just hear engines, which not great in these types of games. I prefer when the engine's a bit quieter. Yeah. But uh, as the name suggests, you're inside of a tube, and the gimmick is you can uh, spin all the way around inside the tube. So 360-degree yep. tube racing. All right, let me read the back of this box here. Limitless velocity. Get your adrenaline fix as you race at incredible speeds in hover vehicles that slide through gravity-defying race courses at over 1,000 miles per hour. That's fast. The future of championship formula racing is faster, sleeker, and more dangerous. You may be able to avoid hitting the walls, but can you defy your opponent's power siphoning lock-on beams? You may be able to finish a race, but can you win it? But can you win it? Uh, I think I can, personally. I think if I could find a copy of this game that's affordable, I would definitely pick it up. So you said this game is like 130? Yeah, there's only two copies available on eBay, really hard to find. And yeah, this the copy I'm looking at right now is $111 Canadian. Plus $26 shipping because it's coming from our friends of the South. Maybe one day I'll find a copy that's in good condition that I can pick up for a couple bucks. So yeah, let's let's go next to Roadkill. Roadkill. And uh, this, this game is a Twisted Metal GTA kind of clone. It even says it on the back of the box. Really? <laughs> Twisted Metal Black meets Grand Theft Auto says Electronic Gaming Monthly. <laughs> Oh, the, okay, the review of it. Yeah. I thought they actually like wrote it themselves on there. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Well, I mean, they, they put it on the box. Yeah, they did. That's very fair. They decided that. <laughs> it's it's pretty violent. It's very violent. It, yep. it does have an actual cult following, which I thought was interesting. I can there see that. There are people who still play this game yeah. and uh, who stream it. It's it's pretty funny, but it's very of a time. Yeah, it's like I got a Mad Max feel to it as well. I wrote down that. I, th- I felt like, you know, you got the cars, you got pickup trucks that are equipped with guns and chains and crap. So that's your deal. Looks like there's women in bikinis in it too. Yeah, I don't know if you can make a game like this anymore. No. If you're a fan of car combat, this is the only game in town. It was released on October 30th, my birthday, 2003. Oh. I, I didn't have the GameCube yet though, so I couldn't, I couldn't have possibly had this one. <laughs> developed by a, a studio called terminal reality <laughs> imagine working for, and also midway i guess published it but yeah that's a terrible name yeah this was a midway published uh game this is yeah. part of their this is was like their kind of their last stand and they were trying to make some money um so they 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 had this new kind of idea in the early 2000s to make basically just very violent games mm-hmm. And we're going to see a lot of Midway games in some of the episodes coming up. Oh, yeah. Such as the NHL hit series, all, all the NFL ones, too, mm-hmm. that are more arcadey. And that was like kind of cool that uh, Midway went to that path. I actually really uh, appreciate that they did that uh, because it, they kind of a lot of these games were getting too serious, too technical. 
and Midway kind of was able to bring some of this back to the arcade fun, just like mm-hmm. do whatever you want. So, yeah. And this was uh, this was the time when if you wanted a game that was for adults, for teens, for mature audiences, you didn't get games that were emotional or cerebral or anything like that. Nothing like what you get today with adult style games like The Last of Us, which are they're violent, but they're also super emotional and very story heavy. Adult games back then were just as violent as humanly possible, no matter how unrealistic it was. And that's what developers thought adults wanted, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was that. And also, like, obviously, like the super sexist and like weird yeah. games, like the, the guy game and stuff like that. Yeah. That were just like very strange. Yeah. Now, I mean, we get we get games that are mature, but they're still tasteful and artful, I think. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. like Red Dead. Like Red, Red Dead is the perfect example right it's made by made by rockstar it's uh you know gta style game uh but it's done in a story heavy way and the combat and everything is very realistic and is very immersive yeah terminal reality they also made uh connect star wars oh on xbox yeah that was a terrible game. But yeah, they, they went under in 2013. Okay, well. <laughs> but I, I had a feeling this game had a cult following just based on the price and the look of it. You can tell when a game like this is priced at about 90 bucks. It's it's not because it's good. <laughs> it's just because there's people that want it. And I'm sure it's fine. That's probably... I can definitely see why you why you would want it, though. Like, I, I get it. I definitely get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like just having... It's junk food. Like, it's just a junk food game. It's junk food that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. That's true. I think Twisted Metal could come back and be totally fine, actually. I think so, but here yeah. we are <laughs> without Twisted Metal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're waiting. All right. The apocalypse wiped out everything except gangs, guns, cars, and vengeance. Drive to survive as you establish your badass reputation, leading a gang of cutthroats and renegades in the massive living world of Hell Country. <laughs> Oof. Select from an arsenal of more than 35 vehicles and 17 potent weapons, including guided missiles and a sniper rifle. Just one. Drive your weapon of master of mass destruction through more than 30 chaotic missions. Take the ultimate challenge in two to four player deathmatch. This game is rated M. Not a lot of those on the GameCube, actually. So that's interesting. Very weird to have on the GameCube, to be honest. They were going after this audience. That, that's what they were saying at, from the get-go. They stopped towards the end, though. But that's it for Roadkill. Last game of the day? Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy. Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy was released on November 10th, 2003, uh, developed by Eurocom. Released on a ton of stuff, actually. GameCube, PS2, Xbox, Windows, Mac, Linux, and recently the Switch. This game to me looks like a mix of like Zelda. I looked at some gameplay. It looks like Zelda and uh, Prince of Persia. Yep, that's exactly what I would say too. Yeah, it's very much, uh, a, it's like very much a clone of Zelda. With the aesthetic of Prince of Persia. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Yeah, I have no memory of this game. It looks like it it trends at around 15 bucks, I think, if if you want to pick it up. But I don't know if I'd recommend it. It didn't look incredibly interesting. It, it got it got decent reviews at the time. It looks it looks okay. Like again, like we talked about Australia being popular back in the day. So was Egypt. Yeah, it was. You're in, right. In the same vein, I think. Like with like the mummy being in the out there. Yeah, I think like mummies were cool. Oh yeah, that's always a cool thing for you know for kids. Yeah, uh, I I'd, li- I'd like to talk about one thing in particular that I think is very funny in this game. Okay. So there was like a massive glitch that was in this game that obviously could never be fixed because there were no updates uh, back back uh, back then. So using one of the save points in the mummy section, immediately following a particular cutscene that would reveal. Horace's betrayal in the story can cause a door to be permanently sealed if the play session is not immediately continued. Uh, And this is for all three consoles. This is for everything, which is that's like a huge mess up. This traps the player, preventing further progress with no way to reverse the action. Uh, This forces the player to start over from the very beginning of the game. Yeah. And you have to remember not to do that again. (laughs) That'd be the last time I ever played that game. Like that's, <laughs> oh yeah, that's a hard stop for me. And any even today, like even if they say they've patched it, I'm still not playing that again. <laughs> if anything happens in a game where your save gets wiped or you get stuck and you're more than five minutes in, I'm not playing it. Do you have any good stories about that? No, I don't. I know, I know third or second hand, I guess, uh, that on the Wii Me- Metroid Other M, I think that's the one had a glitch where you can get to a certain point where. 
uh, you can't go any further because you don't have the right weapon or something and you can't go back through the door you came through. The fix that Nintendo had was that you had to mail in your console for them to fix it. What? Yeah, you had to like, I think I don't, I think that's how it went. You had to mail in like, because there was no memory cards on the Wii, I don't think. No, unless you put the GameCube ones in. The GameCube one in. But yeah, I think you had to send in your console with uh, maybe with the game in it. But yeah, they would oh fix it God. that way. And then sometimes that didn't even work either. That's nuts. But um, that's the only one I could. That's probably the worst one I can think of. That is by far the worst one. Yeah. I've only had one personal experience of uh, a game glitching on me super hard. That was in uh, Virtue's Last Reward. Mm, okay. There's There's a specific place. I forget what it is at this moment but there's a specific place in the game probably about halfway through two-thirds okay. of the way through mm-hmm. that it just glitches you out completely and uh you you can't do anything you're basically just stuck in a loop Jeez, yeah that was a huge it's not so much of an issue now because like you said there's patches but back in the day whatever was shipped that was it and i don't think mailing in your console is a good <laughs> that, that is the worst possible thing yeah i think you're better off to just swallow it and and take it i i think that they made more sp- Things games after this i can't remember it's crazy as a developer back then though like that's that's your like that's pretty uh substantial that's, if you mess something up yeah it's yeah. huge so you have to make sure like the qa on these games would have been so much bigger at this time yeah in terms i mean i guess arguably now it's just as big because the games are bigger it's scaled in general in yeah. Terms of, yeah and scaled but just like it, it was uh it's pretty crazy that's what I like about this generation, man. It's just that, you know, whatever they did, that's what they did. There was no going back. You couldn't fix it. You couldn't tweak it. Uh, I, I like that. I, I like that. I think that's a good, I mean, now it would be terrible because games are launch broken. So, but I think it'd be better if we went back to having games unpatchable and just please just release a game that works day one because I don't buy games day one for that very reason. Yeah, no, and I, it's, it's especially bad with like the bigger studios. It's, it's it's really frustrating it's frustrating because it basically tells fans of the game that they don't care about you really yeah they don't care about the people that buy it day one really yeah. no and those because those are the true fans those are the people who are who are actually fueling your success yeah yeah and then the players like me who buy the game used a year later for 20 bucks are seeing a better version of the game and there's so many games like that now there's um project cars or no man's sky uh these games that released that were just awful on launch and obviously they've done you know kudos to the developers they've done quite a good job of bringing it back up to to par with other other platforms and other games it's just really sad though because they clearly have lost a massive audience who just will look at it you know and hear about it day one or first couple of weeks and just be like nope that's it for me yeah, it's a shame, but that that's why I like this era is that the games were released and they, for the most part, worked. Like there was, I'm sure game games, yes, they were janky and they were, some games were difficult to play, but it wasn't like to the point where the game just crashes and glitches. To, no, know. it was just the technical limitations of the time. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, two here, back of the box, two heroes, their mission is the same. Their methods couldn't be further apart. Play as Sphinx, a headstrong demigod. Interact with hundreds of unique and imaginative creatures, enemies, and allies. Control the mummy when you need to rely on stealth and creative, and sometimes painful, puzzle solving to outwit your enemies. Oh, so it's like Luigi's Mansion 3. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly the same thing. It's it, Your Guigi is a mummy in this game. Okay. Doesn't sound terrible. Yeah, you kind of you have like a Guigi, like where you, yeah, you just control the mummy. Yeah, for areas where you can't go because it, it you get hurt, you just throw the mummy in there. That's uh... Yeah, because uh, a lot of times what you have to do is you have to light the mummy on fire. This is a real thing. You light the mummy on fire and the mummy will burn something for you. Oh, just like a real mummy. Because yeah, he's just, made of toilet paper. Just like a real mummy. That's clever. I'm sure that's not the first time. I don't know when the first version of that ever happened, but it's a clever game mechanic. It, it's This is actually probably the most original of the clones, I think, that we've seen today. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I think so. If I had to vote, I would say this one's the most original of the ten games we talked about. Well, with that, with that in mind, uh, let's do our. You know, we always do this uh, every episode. Uh, what would you put your as your stamp of approval for any of these games? Is there any game here that you say that you must buy? Yeah, I would say Tube Slider, without a doubt. Uh, for, I mean, yeah, that makes <laughs> that makes sense. If you couldn't tell, I was super engaged with everything I learned about this game. Looks like a ton of fun. 
even if you already have F0 and you love that, I would probably want more, and this would be the way to go. Very nice. How about you? What would be your choice? Uh, I would say Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer because you can't get that game anymore, like the kind of game. There's no surfing games. Standalone anymore. surfing game. Yeah. Yeah. And Tony Hawk's in it. That's sick. Yeah. Yeah, he's playable. There's a few other weird playable... Sur like, there's obviously the pro surfers that are in there, but there's some weird ones too, just made-up characters. But yeah, Tony Hawk <laughs> in all his glory. All right, so if you get out there and you're you know looking for a couple GameCube games to pick up, we would recommend Tube Slider and Kelly Slater's Pro Surfer on the GameCube. Although the GameCube version of Kelly Slater, as I said earlier, is the worst version, but you do you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for uh, joining us for this week's episode of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. We discussed uh, clone games. Next week, we're going to be talking about a game very near and dear to my heart, Pikmin. Uh, the Nintendo-exclusive game came out shortly after launch. I'm really excited to talk about this game. I've been playing a bit of it over the weekend. Early review. It's fantastic <laughs> still. Uh, you'll hear more next week, though. Uh, thank you so much for downloading and listening. Mike, thank you for your time today. And if you could all go out and support us, that'd be great. We're on Instagram. All you have to do is just follow us, maybe send us a few likes here and there. Our page is called The GameCube Pod. Uh, we're, we have, I believe, 10 followers as of today. We just launched it last Thursday. Really excited there. And if you could share us with your friends on Spotify, Apple Podcast, uh, Podbean, that would be great. Mike, any closing words for the fans out there? Oh, no, just thanks for the support. And we can't wait to talk about Pikmin. I'm, I'm very excited to hear Neil's take. And uh, I know he loves that franchise. So I can't wait to talk about Pikmin in the next episode. And I don't know if we can say, is there a guest coming next week? There might be a guest. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, it might just be me talking to Mike. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anyway, take care. Signing off. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube. It had a handle so you could bring it to the homes of friends you definitely had. GameCube. At least it was better than the N64.